what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. I'm with the band. Music and interviews you're going to like. Hello, everyone, and welcome to I'm With The Band here on The Mesh, the mesh.tv, our podcast network that we have coming out of Western North Carolina here. We're producing shows and episodes all for people all across the nation and the world to listen to through iTunes and other sources as well. I am not your normal host. Chad Austin, our normal host, is not available today, but you get me, and uh, hopefully that's going to work out good, and hopefully, Tori, it's okay for you as well, as we welcome Tori Sparks into our interview little table here. I'm with the band and uh, Tori we're going to talk a little bit about just your your work your music your your craft talk a little bit about some of your experiences as well but how are you doing good to see you here I'm doing fine. Good to see you, too. And I think you're doing fine, even though you're not the normal host. I, I'm not the normal host. I host a lot of the shows on this network, but the music show's the one. I'm always here for the recordings, but I haven't got to host yet. So we're going to have fun with this. Uh, I am not a deep background music myself, but I am an avid music listener. So I guess that makes me a pretty good guy to ask some questions about uh, about you and your work as yeah, well. Yeah, but that counts because, like, for example, I have friends who are not musicians, and I say, what did you think of, you know, I'm working on some new stuff. What did you think of those songs? Oh, I don't know, because I'm not a musician. It doesn't matter. You want actual people, not musicians, to tell you, right, <laughs> to tell exactly. you what they think. So, yes. so I may ask you some questions that are very, very simple level stuff. But I think a lot of our listeners enjoy this show because they want to listen to some, some, some talent they haven't been exposed to before. They want to hear some music they've never heard before. And a lot of them are not, you know, deep in the music industry. So we're going to try to talk a little bit about your, your background, your experience and what you're doing in, in the last several years here. Now, the first thing I'm going to mention, we do have a latest album out and this is one I've had an opportunity over the last couple of weeks to listen to and really enjoyed by the way. So it's until morning slash come out of the dark. So it's a double LP and maybe talk to me a little bit about that. Cause I've read the, on your website where you talked about kind of having this little bit of a dichotomy, you know, the first half of it is a little more, um, I don't know. I, it's, it's a little fiery. It's a little more passionate. It's a little more, then you flip over to more of a grassroots type of feel, almost like more of an Americana type of feel for the other one. Maybe talk me through the idea of coming up with a double LP, doing it where you've kind of got these two halves of the same album, but you change your tone a little bit in the middle there. Well, first, thank you for actually reading all that stuff, because some people say, so you have two albums out, or what's the deal? So, <laughs> right. Yep. Um, that's Well, the idea... Typically, when I've recorded an album, it's been a month or two in the studio every day from like 10 a.m. to 6 or 7 p.m., working really hard, and then we're, we kind of do some tweaks and we're done. But in this case, I had been touring so much that I really didn't have time to just set aside a couple of months to do a record. So I would record for a week or two, or two or three days maybe, and then come back and do some more when I could. And this process took about a year and a half total to, to finish recording 14 tracks, and Initially, the concept was just to make one one record, but right. but you know, as, as things were progressing, it just felt like the two sides, kind of halves, were evolving into almost two separate projects. Mm -hmm. But rather than trying to force the production into one and to try to make it all meet in the middle somewhere, I actually thought it was more interesting to to separate them out more deliberately because the first album or the first disc, uh, Until Morning is it's darker and sort of more blues mm -hmm. based and it's kind of the story of experiences in in Barcelona in Spain okay. where I live now but at the time I was I was living in Nashville and traveling back and forth a lot mm -hmm. so I kind of felt like I was living in two worlds and the other side come out of the dark is a bit more hopeful a bit more like you said Americana kind of production mm -hmm. and it's kind of the story of some things that happened in in Nashville so 
it turned into this, yeah, this dichotomy of of my two universes as well as uh, sort of the concept of the the things you go through, mm-hmm. and then once you come through those those trials and tribulations per se, the kind of acceptance and the lessons that you've learned and things like that. So, well, I'm gonna give myself kudos then because I was wondering as I was listening to it, I wondered, I wonder if that first the until morning was more of the Barcelona feel where maybe that was more your inspiration for that. And then maybe the other one was Nashville. And it sounds like I was right. Good so job. actually I'm, no, I'm a little more into this music business thing than I thought. See, you know what you're doing. I do. I'm trying <laughs> anyway. Now you hit on something I was going to ask about too, about the, you have changed locales recently. So you're, you're out of Barcelona, Spain now, That's but you right. did spend some time in Nashville several years ago. Right? Yeah. I was there for almost seven years, seven years. So, so two very, I would imagine, different music scenes and probably different inspirations and different, the, the industry is probably different there. What have you seen as maybe some of the biggest differences and how they impacted you moving between these two very different geographic locations? They're just, they're totally different. Um, I think, I, I suppose I should point out first the things that are the same because there are so few actually. Okay, sure. The, the similarities are only in my opinion that first of all, you meet good and bad people everywhere all over the world. So mm-hmm. there's that. And there's music in both cities. Mm-hmm. That's it. Other than that, they're completely... <laughs> the, the similarities stop right yes, there. <laughs> seriously. Because, um, because Nashville is this amazing city for a lot of reasons. Because there's so much music there. And mm-hmm. so much of it is of a really high caliber. Whether or not you're into that kind of style or not. It's just amazing musicians. There are so many studios. And just everyone really understands what you're going through. Because it's this community of music industry. Right. There's also the level of professionality is very high. Um, it's also a nice place to live because there's a lot of green spaces and it's very central. You can tour out of it very easily. But the the downside for me is that it's kind of a conservative community mm-hmm. when it comes to music and when it comes to everything. So uh, it's changing, but it, it still is. Um, right. That being said, I learned so much there and met some really great people there. But uh, in Barcelona, the the level of professionality, for example, typically is not there. Mm-hmm. So that makes it very difficult. But the upside is that there is just all this crazy art and different kinds of music and very, very creative people that sometimes don't actually even play their instruments very well. And other times they do. But at the least, they're not kind of bound by these conventions of this is what the industry is telling me to do. It's a little more free, I mm-hmm. guess, and it's expressive uh, how people feel like they can be expressive as creative artists there. So. Yeah, and you, I mean, you run into that with visual art, with everything. So it's a very inspiring place to be, but there's just, there is no, there are no rules and regulations, which sometimes can be challenging as well. And of course, it's a Mediterranean city, whereas Mm Nashville is like a southern city. So you got like biscuits and gravy, and then you've got like tapas, (laughs) and like, okay, then we go for the siesta, we walk on the beach, and I'm like, I thought we were having a business meeting. What is happening here? But it's fun. Oh wow! So, that's, but that's... and I love Spain. It's just really interesting, and I've learned. I'm learning a flamenco. I love that. But it's there's nothing remotely similar wow. <laughs> at all, except that, like I said, I have met some really wonderful people in both places, which has been great. And I've also had some crazy experiences in both places. I've got to imagine those two cultures, those two environments. Uh, you know, are going to have. They're both very, very impactful on your on your music. I would imagine. I mean, Nashville has become a very hotbed for up-and-coming artists and a lot of the great music scene. And then, of course, down in Spain, like you were mentioning, all the culture and the expressiveness. So how, did, how have you seen your music change? Have you seen it change in the last couple of years since you've been down in Spain more now? Well, you know what's funny is that a lot of people told me when I moved to Nashville that it's really obvious the country influence in your music, even though it's the same stuff that I that I had been doing before. Right. And then when I moved to Spain, they said it's very obvious the Spanish influence on your music, even though I had recorded the album 
the new album in Nashville before I moved there. Oh, wow. So it's just people's perspective of me definitely changes depending on where I am. But as far as how it's actually changed, uh, I think that it's, I mean, Nashville taught me a lot about songwriting and about Americana and folk mm. and, and country and stuff I never listened to before because before it was all rock and blues and that was it. And then moving to Spain, um, I mean, I've, like flamenco is incredible because the harmony is different. Just the approach to everything is very, very different. The rhythms are different. And uh, also I've been listening to a lot of Latino music, mm-hmm. like not Spanish, like Dominican, things like that, because uh, I've been learning salsa dancing and there's a very big Latino community in Barcelona because people move from South America or Central America mm-hmm. to Spain because the language is more or less the same. So those things have really crept in as far as influences, but it's more, I, I think I'm still at the moment in the process of assimilating all of that. Um, I haven't been writing very much because I've been touring and mm. I've been moving to Spain and <laughs> I've also been rehearsing with a flamenco trio and we're trying to put some stuff together as well as the new band that I have in Spain. So a lot of it has been kind of assimilating, but I do think that eventually I will end up writing all this craziness that sounds all Spanish and I'll be like, where did that come from? <laughs> I have no idea where that came from. Maybe it's just being here in Spain. It could be helping with that. So that sounds really interesting, uh, especially interested in the, uh, the Flamingo uh, group. You have to keep us posted on, on where things go with that. So, Well, Flamenco is strange because they, they if you're not a purist, they mm-hmm. sometimes look down on you, mm-hmm. kind of like jazz. But these people do a fusion. It's a trio that already has been playing together for about 15 years called Calamento, which means catnip, actually. I don't catnip. know. Why. Yeah, I don't know why they're called Calamento. <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of reasons I wonder why certain bands in America are named the way they are, but catnip down there, yeah. that sounds that Well, like works. the Beatles, what a dumb name. Yeah, but right. then they're awesome exactly. and they're famous, so it's okay. But, um, so, but it seemed like it worked for them, I guess. Yeah, so, right. so they, you know, we've started doing some stuff together, and it's just interesting. To, it's, you learn a lot with every new style of music that you that you kind of incorporate into your repertoire. So that's mm. been fun. And then they are learning a lot because them, I'm like, no, here, this is more blues. And they're like, what? <laughs> and they're, what, they're what trying to figure out <laughs> right. these Western, well, to me, Western music. And of course, I'm trying to figure out what to them sounds very basic. You are really bridging the cultures then. You're bringing a little bit, you brought a little bit of Spain to Nashville. And now you're bringing a little bit of Nashville back into Spain. So that's pretty cool. Well, also I'm working with, I'm trying to work with, uh, it's hard because we were in different countries, but I'm trying to work with a guitarist who lives in Sarajevo in Bosnia. And he plays all this amazing, crazy Balkan stuff. Mm-hmm. It's very complicated time signatures. Um, it's it's like I know you said you're not a musician, but you know, like something in three is mm-hmm. like a waltz, for example, yes. versus four four is just basic one two three four. They have things that are like twelve eight thirteen eight. So wow. <laughs> so we're trying to work together, and we were actually trying to apply for some grants that have to do with that, with bridging cultures. And there there mm-hmm. are some of those out there. So it's it's always very interesting experience to go outside of your normal world because in Europe there are so many different cultures so close together that you almost can't avoid it, even if you just wanted to be boring. It's hard to do now. Looking back through some of the albums, this is a this this combination, this dual double EP. Is this your this your fifth album? Is that correct? Sort of. Um, I mean, it's the fourth full album. I had done okay. a four song EP before that. That's right. I saw that. So, so yes. okay, so fourth full one as far as a full length. If you combine the two EPs, you really have a good full length album there for mm-hmm. that. Over the years, you've worked with some really interesting producers, and you know, I'm sure those people really a little deeper in the music industry than I am probably recognize a lot of the names there. But, I mean, you've had some great producers working with you on that. For somebody like me, they're again not in the music industry, or a lot of the people that listen to the show that maybe you just want to hear the music and the musicians talk, what does that producer add to the product? What do they add to the album? Because I think a lot of people just think, 
sometimes the producers just sit behind the the, the table and hit the record button. Mm. And, you know, there's a lot more to it, I know. But how would you describe what having a good production team makes these albums work? Well, it's a good, it's a good question because a lot of people don't think about that. Um, producers often really make or break a record because every kind of producer is there are so many kinds of producers and they're all mm-hmm. different because you have those producers that really put their stamp on the album, like Daniel Lenoir, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you have other people like, and he did, you know, he did stuff with U2 and right. Emily Harris and all these people. And then um, you have other people who really just sort of try to pull the best out of the artist. And honestly, someone like Daniel Lenoir is amazing and I would love to work with him because I like his style. But sure. if you don't, like the style of a famous producer, it's really not a good idea to work with them because they're going to make you sound mm-hmm. how they hear you. And that might not be you, you know? Right. Um, you have people like Rick Rubin in the States who did stuff with Johnny Cash and all mm-hmm. these people. And there's another guy named Javier Limon in Spain who's a very famous flamenco producer. And I like them because they they tend to sort of strip down, actually, mm-hmm. the artists and make it a more acoustic-based production. Right. And that's very effective. I was really impressed with what Rick Rubin was able to do with those Johnny Cash albums because that was... Uh, I was never a huge Johnny Cash fan, but mm-hmm. actually hearing those albums, I respected that style of recording music more than I did even some of his more polished albums in the past. Well, so. that's why producers are important because that's what they add to it. They're kind of like the lens, mm-hmm. I suppose. The guy behind the desk pushing buttons is the, the engineer, but then the producers that I've worked with are actually both. Like they're kind of producer engineers where they're doing the engineering and they control how you set up the microphones and they help you figure out who to bring in as far as other musicians go, which right. really affects the album because if, you know, if you've got Slash playing guitar mm-hmm. or if you've got you know, me playing guitar, it's very different. Right, so, a little different. Um, right. <laughs> so, I mean, that's how that producers also, um, they're important in that sense. But then these guys, Roger Moutinho and, mm-hmm. um, and uh, David Henry, they're, they're engineers as well as producers and I've worked with them as opposed to them just producing the record. So... What they do is they add their kind of perspective and help me decide who to bring in. But then they also, you know, I also have a, it's like a democracy sort of, but I'm also kind of the dictator. Like I say, no, I get the final say on this end. And I prefer that because as an artist who does have a particular idea in mind, that's what I want to put out there. But I also want someone who has more experience than I do, who I trust and who has good ears and who's creative that can give me more ideas or can say, you know, I know that you're the dictator, but really this sounds like this doesn't work. You know? <laughs> right, sure. Yeah. I think you need that. Uh, otherwise, you end up having kind of these navel-gazing you got to have some good constructive criticism. Somebody who's willing to point it out to when you, something's not working right. So that's Yeah, good. or just, you might not even be wrong. It's just where they say, you know, we have violin on a lot of tracks. What if we did a, like a saxophone instead? Sure. And you go, oh, yeah, that's true. So these guys are great for that. And they've worked with really different kinds of artists. And they both really yeah. understand, I think, the concept of making music as opposed to I'm the producer and I want everyone to know. (laughs) Well, it's just interesting as I was looking over the producers, I mean, David Henry working with REM, which is one of my all time favorites and then cowboy junkies, which I think Mm -hmm. is just a very underrated band. I used to listen to a great deal in college and uh, I could hear a little, a little influences on some of those in some of your songs as well. Mm -hmm. And then with Roger working with Elvis Costello, Elvis Costello, I think is kind of a running theme for my, me and Margaret and I, the producers here at the mesh, just about every other band we, or musician we, brought in has had some sort of connection to Elvis Costello. So now you have actually con- 
continued that string there. We're both huge Elvis Costello fans. So when I saw the name on there with Roger, I'm like, oh, there's our connection. So we we know we needed it this month, but we got it. So it's good. Well, he's I think he's just kind of out there in so many senses that people – People, everybody knows Elvis somehow, you know. <laughs> He's probably worked with just about everybody in a way. So there's some sort of six degrees of separation with Elvis Costello now. Exactly. So that's neat. Very good. Well, I think the production on the albums has just been great, especially this last one. I think it just sounds really, really solid and really good. Yes. Now, uh, one thing I was going to mention before we go to a break here, I did have fun watching the music video that you guys shot for the song Mama, Thank which, you. by the way, great song. I really have enjoyed that song. My wife has heard that song playing in our home stereo a few times this past week now. So uh-huh. <laughs> um, she enjoys it too, which is good. Uh, but the video looked like a, just a lot of fun to shoot because it, it, for those people who haven't seen the video, we'll make sure we put a link with this episode up there so people can go and see the video pretty easily. Is you performing, I, I think it was in a club in Colorado. Is that correct where you shot that? Yeah, we typically for the other, I've done, I don't know, three other videos that were more concept videos right. where you go to a few different locations and shoot them and it takes a couple of days and then you edit it. And usually I've, I've done a lot of my own editing actually and that takes a long time. Yes. But in this case, um, I had a guy email me after a show I did in Colorado and say, Um, I don't really like your other videos. I think you need a better one. Hmm. And I wrote back, thank you for the uh, feedback. (laughs) You know, like, if you would like to do another video for me, then we can talk. Otherwise, really? Come on now. And he he wrote back, well, I do shoot videos, actually. They're corporate commercials, though. I don't really do music videos. And um, I could do a video for you for free if you were interested. And I said, Hmm. well, I'm interested, but you have to understand that it's got to be, I mean, it has to be just like any other video where we come to a, a point of common like consensus on what's going to be sure how it's going to be done and even though it's free like if it, if it doesn't come out well i'm not using it that's just how it's it still got to represent you yeah. well absolutely so he was very understanding about that although we did butt heads a little bit uh, sure but he he ended up doing great and we really we just contacted the the club where he had seen me play actually and i was supposed to play there again and i said listen i have this monday off i'm going to be out there doing this crazy tour um going out to sundance film festival and all this stuff mm-hmm. is there a day that we could just use the club and put up black, you know, mm-hmm. plastic paper over the windows. And we don't really have a budget to rent it, but we will put your logo and your website and the credits and all these things. And they said, sure. So he, this guy got like his kids, friends and people to come be extras. And he set up before I got there. We basically shot in five hours and I kind of lip synced, which is how you do videos. And then that was all and yeah. it was it was really fun but it was it was kind of crazy because it was just sort of okay do the video we have to go because I have a gig somewhere else let's go right and that was it but it was a lot of fun hey it, sometimes, sometimes the ones you can knock out in a few hours I think have a little good personality to them so mm-hmm. it looks like everybody in the crowd was having a good time with it too so that was fun I think it did a good job well they were cool because these people are not actors they don't know right. what they're doing so to sure. try to get them to kind of act as if they're in a it's harder than you think to yeah. to pretend like you're watching a show when you're not and things like that mm-hmm. so they did it great and and honestly it, it was fun because it kind of represents to a point like the the spirit of the live show even though it was you know you have to play that kind of thing but uh, none of the other videos do that so i was really pleased with the, the guy who directed it was named Stuart osteen and especially because he doesn't he's not familiar with the world of music videos i thought he did great because really artists are pain i mean even those of us who are reasonably rational <laughs> so he he was he was wonderful <laughs> uh, sure i actually directed one music video in my life and that was back uh when i was in college in chapel hill so a uh, band there and i just i was a video guy so i was bound and determined i was going to do a music video at some point mm-hmm. i still watch it it it's not that good but i think the the ideas were there i think the intent was there the passion was there i uh, just didn't had quite have the craft yet so but that's how you learn is you keep yeah, doing it and that's, that's right. why being a 
that's the same thing talking about producers is that's why you try to work with people who have more experience than you do. Not just because they have a reputation, it's because in theory they help you avoid making mistakes and that's the one thing you do run into as an independent mm -hmm. artist is you make tons and tons of mistakes and all of them are in public so <laughs> in theory if you have people to help you not do that that's great but if you don't have that option you just keep doing it and you just know that okay then by the fourth record which is the, this last album for example you feel like you know what you're doing yeah <laughs> finally that's great <laughs> well I'll tell you what, we're gonna take a little break um but how about uh, during the break here or while we're going out to the break you mind playing a song for us That would be fine. Okay, good. Do you have one in mind that you think uh, would be a good one to play for us? Well, you mentioned too that you liked. You said Tennessee Line and Mama. I well, I mentioned Tennessee Line off, off, offline because uh, you actually mentioned Chapel Hill in there, which that was my alma mater. So, of course, I'm a big Chapel Hill fan. So, I do like that song. Not putting any pressure on you. You don't have to play it necessarily. <laughs> But that one and then uh, Mama's a good song too. But whatever you feel like playing, we can play this one and we'll play another one at the end of the interview. So. No, those are fine. I don't mind. I like it when you can please the audience without even trying. Usually okay. you have to try really hard, <laughs> so that's fine. Well, why don't we do Mama here during the break, and okay. then we'll close out with Tennessee Line. Does that work? Perfect. Great. Good. Well, we'll be back uh, in just a few minutes after this performance here on The Mesh with I'm With The Band with uh, Tori Sparks. All right. All right. So this is called Mama. So I didn't road, yeah. There ain't no straight and narrow path. I'm walking alone. Set on every side of my temptation. Offering me a ride. Don't he look good with his smile? But I know better try. To keep my foot out of my mouth And the devil out of my house Make sure when I go down south I can find my way back home Yes, I gotta try to When the rain come down I look for higher ground And I know that I'll be found When I'm lost Cause, honey, mama Didn't raise no weak will Seeking its shame, oh, it seems to be drawn to me like that flies to a plane. I can hear that sickening buzzing. I plug my ears because, oh, I gotta keep my foot out of my mouth and the devil out of my house. Go 
Cellar City Club, Hickory's premier music venue, is the place to go for music events, wedding dinners or receptions, company retreats, reunions, and more. Contact Main Cellar at 828-345-6246 or find us on Facebook and Twitter for all your entertainment updates. Hello and welcome back to I'm With The Band. This is Alan Jackson having a great conversation with Tori Sparks, who's in the area performing. And we've been talking about her latest album, Until Morning and Come Out of the Dark, and talking a little bit about some of her uh, musical influences at different places she's lived, and some of the production relationships she's had with other producers. So a lot of great stuff there. Before we get into too deep here, let me just kind of back up and talk a little bit about the mesh and what we're doing here on the network. Tori, you know much about our network? Probably no, not. that's why I didn't new, know huh? it was TV, radio. I just said I was supposed yeah. to show up. They're nice people. Okay. I know. We just kind of <laughs> wrote people in and said, come on, Avaya, we'll, we'll take care of you. So we put together a whole network for a podcast so people can download these episodes all over the world. They're on iTunes. Currently, as I speak, we're on the front page of iTunes as one of their featured providers. Uh, for Apple iTunes. So uh, we're happy to be putting out a lot of episodes. We've got a lot of variety of shows, all the th- everything from education to business to sports to music, film reviews, everything in between. So we have fun putting this network together. And this show, I'm With The Band, is all focused on getting to know some musicians and performers, talk a little bit about their craft and their work, and hopefully get uh, some more people exposed to your music because it's some good stuff out there. So, Well, in the past, doing internet-only broadcast really mm-hmm. felt like kind of a waste of time, like three or four years ago. But now, so much stuff is online. So much. It's, the, it's, it's almost better use of time to do something like this than to go on actual television, which is well, crazy. Well, absolutely. And, and the thing that I think about with television, I'm not going to get up my little rant with this normally, but you know, with television, <laughs> it's still very much a you've got to cater to such a broad audience that you don't really get to connect with your niche audience, which I think is so important for so many of us Mm -hmm. trying to produce things is let's really find out who our true audience is and do things that can talk right to them instead of trying to find something that's going to satisfy the the broadest group of people at the same time. On that same note though, you've released four albums under your own record label, right? So glass mountain records, you seem to be a really strong advocate for this whole idea of doing it yourself. Sometimes I think you've got a good model for that. What were some of the things that kind of prompted you to do that? And what have you gained from that that you think you wouldn't have gotten through a traditional record label system? That's pretty much the way to put it is like the things you gain from this kind of model. Because really people don't – in some ways it's not a – a lot of people it's not a choice. They're trying to get a record deal and they don't. So therefore they're independent. But it can be a choice. I mean it can be – it's like the idea of being single. You don't want to just be like you're a guy. I'm a girl. We should have children. (laughs) Just maybe maybe not. Maybe wait around and see if anything good comes along. And if not, just keep partying with your girlfriends. Why not? You know, so um, in my case, I had a I was in college in Tallahassee, Florida, and I had done this four song EP and I got a email or a phone call. I don't even remember from 
a record label in Nashville that was mm. primarily bluegrass. That was the small subsidiary of Universal that said, we want to work with you. And I was like, who are you? Get away. I thought it was some kind of scam, really. Sure. But then I ended up meeting with these people. I was like 19 years old. And we did the first album together. Like I would fly up to Nashville. My mother would come with me usually because she was all worried about me being in a studio with a bunch of like dirty old men or whatever. <laughs> so um, it turns out some of them actually were. Yeah, I'll tell you stories about that later. Okay. But uh, off, off the air, That may be perhaps. an off the air yeah, story. So, I'll, I'll mark that one down. Okay, yeah. good. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but... Um, they were a lot of them were, were nice people though, and so I did an album with them, and the record label was supposed to, uh, you know, promote the record and things like that, mm-hmm. but they didn't. And they also would do things like put out press releases saying that my album was at like number one on the country charts or the pop charts. I'm like, you cannot do that. Yeah, you can't just go out there you and say that. Can't just lie. Right, you can right. like kind of make things sound good in a press release. You cannot just do that, and it made me really uncomfortable. So I eventually said I need to leave this mm-hmm. situation, and they said no. We own all your stuff. Like, but why are you interested in keeping me on if you're not doing anything? Right, sure. And they said, well, blah, blah, and oh, I don't know. They they ripped off a lot of people. So I just basically said, listen, do you remember when I first moved to Nashville? Because after I finished college, mm-hmm. I moved to Nashville when I just turned 21 and still trying to figure out what they're doing with this record, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I said, remember when I first moved here and you guys were trying to be nice and did that weird thing where you told me to come answer phones every now and then for you in the office and that way I'd make a little bit of money under the table or something? Remember that? Uh, do you know I know like everything about you guys? Are you aware? Like I've right. seen all your files and I'm going to tell everyone unless you just let me out of this contract. So, uh-huh. That's what we call blackmail. Well, <laughs> and if it, it has works. to work, it has to work. So, so yep. That's how I got out of that contract, which mm-hmm. I'm glad because they later got investigated for all these things by the FBI because they're bad folks. But um, wow. of course, at the time, that feels like a horrible disappointment that your world's falling apart. You think that you thought you had a record deal and you don't. But it ended up being a good thing because I was so angry that I just booked this huge tour of like 27 days uh, in 27 shows in 30 days and went out with a guitar player and we just mm-hmm. started touring and that whole first tour was just fueled by the energy of rage and irritation I think but um, uh, you get your inspirations where you can sometimes so exactly that's right. yep. and I was I just started touring a lot acoustically and then was writing and felt like it was time to make a new album mm-hmm. and I just but I was like okay so what do I do you know because mm-hmm. I don't have an, a label well I already book my own shows I already hire radio promotion people and publicists and I already try to talk to distributors and and do all these in-show kind of point of purchase performances I'm already doing all the label stuff anyway Mm -hmm. so I may as well just just call it a label and be that and honestly I was already doing all the work anyway so that's kind of how that started like well already doing all the work I have a label now so yeah Yeah, because if you put out self-released uh and you you hire a publicist and they're trying to get a review of your album in Pace Magazine mm-hmm. and they send an album and they say this is an independent release by an independent artist it just sounds like you can't get a, you know can't get invited to the dance for whatever reason but if it's this is an independent artist on this little mm-hmm. independent label even if it's just me mm-hmm. they don't know that and then after you've put out three records on that label they're used to seeing the name and they just assume that it must sure. be something that they should already know it's like a Chicken and the egg nonsense. Well, and I think I mentioned to you after during the break too. I, I think this is the kind of way the music industry is going to be heading anyway. And I think that with the internet and other ways of distributing music now, um, there's so much less of a need to have the the big big record labels, you know, uh, 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 on, uh, taking care of things. When you can go out and produce, you were, you were already doing all the work as it was. So you did create that label, and I think you can connect that directly to the audience that in ways that you probably couldn't have done that before. So Well, the upside of being independent is that you really um, you can make decisions a lot faster, mm-hmm. and it's smaller economies of scale, so you can experiment. 
more and you are in much you're in greater control of your career and i speak at colleges and music conferences i was just in greece speaking about this kind of thing at this place mm-hmm. at this uh, event called womex because especially in europe this kind of diy concept is not very common mm-hmm. and trying to explain that that you know this kind of thing it can be a choice or it can be you know default because you don't have a deal but uh, a lot of more and more famous people are choosing to to go this route for that reason because then you can make the decisions you don't have some guy test marketing something somewhere in some office and then they do it wrong and then your career is shot yeah you know um with regards to big labels they're just sort of unwieldy and heavy um i think smaller labels and mid-sized labels are still useful though because yeah. they have more connections and more of a track record so they can kind of plug you into opportunities in a way that you yourself can never do so i'm not saying all labels are bad sure, i just think I that the, the big sony like records yeah. i don't see that as useful unless you're doing like vanilla ice cream white bread pop and you only want a career for like two years yep. and then then it's useful so. well plus those large large record labels the biggest advantage they had for so long was radio which you know radio is just not what at all at all what it was 10 15 years ago so you know if, if radio is not the main way that we're learning about new music it's the internet it's websites it's youtube videos it's itunes whatever uh you're in a great position for that so well it's yeah. good but the only difficult thing well not the only one of the difficult things at this point is because there's so much music out there because the costs mm-hmm. of production are so, so much cheaper and everything is digital and it's not exactly easy per se, but it's easier to just make a record and do yeah. what you want. And now it costs $10,000 to make literally a world-class quality sound recording as opposed to a million. Yeah. So you can – that's cool, but then everyone can make a record. And how do you stand out hmm. to at least get the opportunity to have people listen to you? And if they don't like you, that's kind of your problem. But that's the thing is how do you reach an audience when there's – so much input and yeah. I think almost everybody in any in every industry is wrestling with this at the moment but yep. people um, in the filmmaking industry it's the same idea you can go out and shoot a film and make a really high quality caliber film for so much cheaper than you ever could so it's the same thing we ran into when we were doing video production for years when a uh, little video editing on your computer and using camcorders got so cheap and things look so good it became a tougher business, but then that's when quality just has to rise to the top. You know, you've got to just because people can do these things cheaper doesn't mean that they're good at it. So I think that's is the that? key is finding out uh, you've got the talent there. So it's just a matter of making sure people can hear about it and, and getting the word out there for it. So well, yeah. I think I think too taking care of your relationships, and I don't mean mm-hmm. in like a, a an annoying networky way, which I have to do as well. You know, you have to like take that guy to dinner that helped you with that distribution <laughs> thing. I hate that, but you do have to do it. Yes. But I mean, as far as just taking care of your fans, like when someone actually emails you to say, thanks for the show, you should email them back. And as yes. fast as you can, maybe not that day, but email them in a day or two, if you are able and say, thanks. And I do this monthly broadcast online, um, through a platform called stage it. And it's a, a mm-hmm. concert and people can watch from all over the world and they have to pay to watch, but it can be 10 cents. It's whatever they feel. Mm. Like donating in. Oh, nice. Yeah. And it works really well. And then people chat and they tell you things and, hey, the sound is bad or play the song, please, or whatever. And just as many ways as you can kind of let people know that you're aware that they're out there listening, they come back and they tell other people. And so even though that takes a lot of energy, that's really, I think, how you grow your audience as an independent yeah. artist. Because if you're not on the radio, you know, word of mouth is going to be your best friend 
Because mm-hmm. if you buy an ad in a big magazine, no one's going to pay attention to that. But mm-hmm. if someone's best friend says, you have to listen to this, it's amazing, and yes. she's so nice, she totally emailed me back, that helps a lot. Oh, absolutely. All the music <laughs> I listen to now is all because somebody, a good friend of mine, told me I need to check it out. Exactly. That really is it. Okay, one thing I, I, I heard about some of your music is that it has been licensed to be used in some different places. So some of your music's been used on maybe a couple TV shows, commercials, other places. What has been one of the most interesting places that you've heard your music played maybe somewhere or some through some vehicle where you when you heard it you're like wow that's actually pretty cool that my song's being played here well the funny part is with a lot of that stuff is i don't even have a tv so i have no idea what these shows are half the time but but the one thing that was very cool was um uh, i got an email actually from this well Okay, from this person um, who's a publicist in Sweden. Who sometimes my point is sometimes I don't hear from him, and I'm like, "Aren't you my publicist?" Okay, but um, <laughs> but he emailed me and said, "Hey, your music is being used in like the in-flight music for Lufthansa, uh, the yes. the German airline. That's cool because mm-hmm. that's a great airline. Number one, they're actually they have very good customer service, unlike some airlines, and yes, and they you know they're all over the world, and that's just." Kind of fun. And then I looked at their playlist and it was people like John Hyatt or Damien Rice and people that I actually, that I listen to and that I like. So it's nice when you're on, on those kinds of lists as opposed to, it's like um, when I put myself into Spotify, for example, mm-hmm. to see what I sound like, I hate those artists that come up. <laughs> so, <laughs> as far as like the ones you're supposed to be like. Yeah, it's, thing, it's awful. Right? So I yeah. like when I'm in good company. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> I was going to mention the airline example, but here's my problem. I always have a hard time pronouncing the name of that airline. I think some people Luf- say Lufthansa. L- Lufthansa? I, I think that's right. Or, but I say Lufthansa because that's how they say it in Spain. Okay. I flew Lufthansa that. <laughs> just a few months ago when my wife and I went to Thailand and we had to, to take a flight from Germany to, to Bangkok there. And the whole time I felt so bad because I could never pronounce the name of the airline. Every time somebody asked me, what airline are you flying? It's like that Lufthansa, Lufthansa type place. So I saw that example. I saw that you were on the in-flight music on that. I just didn't want to bring that up because that funny. was going to force me to say that name. Most people so. don't admit things like that. I always I'm, do, I'm right so, so I feel so. like we, we are getting to know each other. Yeah, exactly. That's right. So have, so you actually haven't heard it on the airline, or have you? No. Um, the as far I haven't heard it myself, although I have flown that airline. But um, most of these things are American shows, and I'm in Spain right now. So yeah, like there was some um, NASCAR biography and cooking shows and very weird things. Wow. But um, the the times when something has actually come on, like for example, I was in the car with my mother, and like a song came on the radio. You know, things like that are very cool because yeah. it's this weird surreal moment when you feel like, whoa, okay. That's just a fun moment for yourself yeah. internally, but it's even better when your mother's there because then she oh, can be all that is really cool. proud of you and happy and momish and stuff. See, I think it would just be really cool if you were on the airline and you're listening and you heard your song come on and you could start singing along in the airline to your song and everybody else like, who are you listening to? And it's like, oh, you need to turn it to channel five. And all of a sudden, they don't even realize that it's you singing. Yeah, that would just be a really cool meta moment, I think. I think you're so. lying, though. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, this is me. No, yeah, sure it is. <laughs> right, that's true. So, that's true. Um, <laughs> what a one thing I really was was pretty. Uh, I, I thought was pretty admirable that I read a little bit about what you do. Is I mean, there's a lot of artists out there putting out music, but there's only a small number of those artists really doing something to give back to the community. And it sounds like. You've had a project going on, the Feed Your Soul Guitar Project. Can you tell me a little bit about that or what got you started and just this idea of giving back and, and if there's anything else that you're doing right now to try to help back to the, the community, whether it's the music community or just the community as a whole? Well, one thing is that the unfortunate thing is I would like to do more of that. It's just yeah. it's very hard these days. Uh, all over the world, the economy is a little funny right sure. now. So it's very difficult at times to find just literally the money yeah. to and the time to do these kinds of things. But when I can, I like to because as an artist – 
who is self-managed, you feel like you're always talking about yourself all the time. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you're selling toothpaste. You're like, seriously, it whitens. <laughs> and then, right. <laughs> yeah, and after a while, you're like, buy Tory Sparks. You'll live 100 years. It just, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. But um, You got to be your own ad man in a way. So, all the right? time. Yeah. So, so if you are already up there in front of a microphone, you know, why not promote something that actually needs help, really, and that deserves yeah. it? So uh, a lot of times when I've done big concerts like CD release shows, I'll do a kind of a partnership with a local or a national charity and give some money to them. Like we did something with the the third album that benefited um, Save the Music, which Mm -hmm. puts instruments in schools. And uh, I had sent some money from some of these Stage It online performances Mm -hmm. to the Sandy Relief and things like that, just because, you know, why not? I mean, I have an opportunity to give back in a way that's actually much easier than maybe most people have yes. and much more direct. So I like I like to do that when I can. And it's and it's not just to, to appear nice. It's because these these causes are important. And um, the Feed Your Soul Guitar Project was a tour and a, and an art project. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been decorating this blue guitar with glass and paper and paint. And it turned out actually very cool, this very odd folk art thing, which you can see if you type that into the internet. But mm-hmm. I was just doing it because I was trying to find something to do that was not playing guitar for a minute and that mm-hmm. was not internet work. So <laughs> it was just fun. But then I thought, you know, if I'm going to make this thing, I just sell it. And then I thought, well, I, well, instead of selling it, what if I, I don't know how this came up, but I thought, what if I took it with me on the road and showed it around and I talked to ASCAP, who uh, now I'm with CSEC, but at the time I was with them. And I said, can I exhibit this in your lobby for a while in mm-hmm. Nashville and make this project where you know i showed around i have people put in bids online on a little website that we had set up and at the end of the tour whoever has bid the most wins the guitar and they also had to pay for shipping because the idea was like you know you're 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 helping charity here so that's right so anything that was not shipping though all that money went to oxfam america okay which does a lot of really good work and the point was just to raise some money for a good cause but also to bring exposure to a good cause because since then, for example, Coldplay has done a lot of stuff for Oxfam and a lot of people know who it is. But mm-hmm. before, um, I don't think as many people did. And not that I, you know, made millions of people become aware, but, you know, a few thousand at least. Sure. And, and that just was a good feeling. And it's also it's a it's a really good reason to talk about a cause you're interested in if you have a project associated with it, not yeah. just by the way, check out the site. So. Yeah, I don't like the entertainers who just get up on because they have a microphone and several thousand people listening to them and spout off just, hey, you need to go do this and go help this cause. That's great. I mean that at least builds awareness to it, but it's actually building a project off of it and doing something with that I think is pretty impressive. So well, it was fun. Cool. And thank you. But it was a lot of fun too. Um I think, too, another way that you can give back to the community, even if you're not doing charity work per se, is like we're organizing a festival in Barcelona right now. And by we, I mean me, <laughs> mostly. But, um, she is a do-it-herself person. It was person supposed there. to be a bunch of people. I don't know what happens. So mostly it's me. But I do have um, a, an owner of a studio who's helping a lot. And so we, mm-hmm. he and I, okay. are doing this. And um, the idea is um, to bring together all the different kinds of music as well as visual artists and photographers and do workshops for kids and for adults. And you do pay uh, an entry fee, but it won't be that much, really. And probably none of us will make any money, but at least we'll try not to lose any money. And yeah. the idea is to bring all of these aspects of the artistic community together and kind of make it available to the public and have these educational aspects of it. Because Barcelona is not... It's a city with so much culture and so many different cultures, but often like the people who listen to electronic music mm-hmm. or the people who go see a photography exhibition or the guys that listen to traditional Spanish music, I mean, they're not going to 
ever cross paths. Right. So the idea is to do something that brings the community and the artistic community kind of all together in one place. It's very cool. So you can do that too. That's not charity work, but it is something that impacts your local. No, it actually, it, it does help build the community. And I think that's just as impactful as helping raise money or anything else too. It's just getting people together and experiencing different things is great. But, yeah. To kind of close out a little bit, I just, this is my, this is probably my fluff question. This is probably the kind of question I'm sure tons of people What's like to ask. What's a fluff question? Fluff I don't know question. What that means. It's like the big, uh, you know, <laughs> it's the easy, it's the softball one. It's the easy okay. one to ask. Um, but there's a lot of people, I think, that listen to this show that maybe parents, maybe have young children, and maybe those young children have started to show a little bit of an interest in music. What oh. advice would you give them of what they could try to do to help that child? really embrace music and really if they decide that that's something that they want to do for a career what would be the one piece of advice you would try to give them well it's just um i think it's very hard to be a parent in general because you have to support if you're a good parent anyway you have to try to support your your kids even if they take a path that you wouldn't choose for them Mm -hmm. like everybody wants the kid to be happy healthy successful solid and that's usually where some of the overbearing parenting comes in you know Mm -hmm. like your mom's mad at you because you're not being a doctor or a lawyer, but it's not because she's mad at you. It's because she's, she wants you to be okay in the future. And she thinks that's the way to go. Mm -hmm. So I think the most useful thing you can do as a parent is not to just try to be their best friend and not just like, I know parents like that. Like, let's go have a party. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, 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 you're still a parent, but, but to support them and to be their friend to say, look, I'm going to get you, if you can afford it, of course, like, Get the kid music lessons, let them experiment, let them try things, because that really affects how the kid will turn out as, a, as an adult human being, makes them a more well-rounded person, mm-hmm. and just let them explore things that they kind of want to explore, and, and let them know that they can always come to you with, with things they're excited about or things they're scared of, and that you're there for them. And that's, I think, the most important thing, and how that translates into a potential professional musician parent relationship, is that later if they say, Mom or Dad, I want to go be a, a musician... That you say, okay, and you and you give them that freedom, and but you kind of try to, if you've already instilled in them a sense of both adventure and, and responsibility beforehand, mm-hmm. in theory, it's not going to be them just going off to party with their friends in a basement and record some songs. It's like, they'll take it seriously as a career, they'll know that you're supporting them, which makes the whole process so much easier, and... Um, you know, they'll know that if it's not working out that they can that they can come to you and say, I don't know what to do next. Mm-hmm. I think it's just more to know that you got someone there for you because the dangerous part for musicians is that when you feel like you have nowhere to go, you know, you end up sleeping in like a refrigerator box in an alleyway because mm-hmm. you're too ashamed to admit that it didn't work and you mm-hmm. know that your dad's going to yell at you. Now, my parents have helped me out financially with music because I had a scholarship to college. Mm-hmm. And so they looked at it as we would have helped you with college. We're helping you with this. Sure. And I appreciate it more than I can say because I would have been living in an apartment with like 12 people yeah. and it would have been a bad situation. So if you can afford it and if you can, at least emotionally just to be there for them yeah. and not to say you can't do this because then they're going to do it anyway. Yeah. So, you know, it's best to be the supportive one. I completely agree with you on that. So now uh, just to kind of close out there, <clears throat> excuse me. That was a hard question. Was it a hard that question? That wasn't the fluff really? question. It wasn't a fluff one. The fluff one was like the stuff I've had to say a million times. Who's your influences? Stuff like that. That's a fluff question. That's a fluff question. Okay. <laughs> no, let me cross that one off my list. Okay. <laughs> um, now, you did uh, You did mention you went to Tallahassee, I'm assuming, Florida State? Yeah, that's right. Okay. All right. I'm a Tar Heel guy, so uh, we got that going on there. So. Um, <laughs> honestly, it's because I decided to go to college a year early. I yeah. just graduated early, and they offered me the best deal. 
So don't get mad. No, that's okay. That's no problem. Hey, I, I don't spite anybody for the best deal going after. Tori, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it and you, enjoy dude. talking to you. And we're going to have you play one more song here in a minute on our way out. But uh, all of your songs are available on all of your albums available on iTunes. That's right. Uh, Amazon. Uh, I think you're on Spotify as well. You 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 think the Spotify model is a good model? Are you con- concerned about that as a musician? Uh, it's hard to know exactly what to think of that because on one hand it's good because people can find out about your music yeah. that may not have found out about it, and because radio is becoming less important, sure. that's kind of sort of taking the place of radio, which is good. But the downside is the musicians don't get paid. Well, that's what I was going to say. Really. I don't see how that's possible as a financial model at all for musicians. I'm very curious about that. So, well, yeah. a lot of people they they do say um, it's kind of like when CD burners became available everywhere people would say oh i'm just going to burn the cd i'm just going to mm-hmm. copy it it's the same idea it's like instead of downloading it from itunes i'm just going to listen to it on spotify yeah and you do get paid if you're one of the top like five or ten percent of money-making mm. artists like madonna you get right. paid right but if or rolling stones i'm sure they're doing okay but it really it makes independent artists suffer greatly because yeah. your only streams of revenue are licensing like mm-hmm. if you have something in a tv show which isn't that much but it's something uh, money you make from live shows, which is less than it used to be. And of course, expenses are very high, gasoline sure. and stuff. And then, you know, selling your stuff. And as yeah. more and more people go online, it's not CDs as much as it is uh, downloads. And right. then when they don't download because of something like that, it puts you in a, a difficult position. So I don't want to say Spotify is bad, but I do want to say that if people find someone they like on there and they listen to them more than once, mm-hmm. it's nice to buy at least a couple of tracks. You, you need know? to go support them. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to close out and say. I mean, they're all on iTunes. They're all on Amazon. Also on your website, torysparks.com is a great place to go. And you can listen to previews of the songs and then also follow the links for buying them. We're going to put links on this show episode for all of your iTunes and Amazon links as well. Mm-hmm. So people can get right to them. Please go out guys, support these independent musicians and these independent labels that are doing some great music. Uh, this is the way that you know we can keep growing the music community around us. So Tori, thank you so much for your time. Really do appreciate it. We're going to have you play one more song on the way out, but uh, any, any chance we'll get you back to North Carolina in the near future? Actually, yes. I mean, when people ask you those questions, you always have to say yes, but, but actually, yes, because <laughs> but you're really being honest. For real, because you know, okay. no, just like last night at the house concert yeah. that I had played with, I said, this has been so fun and I meant it. And it was fantastic because, um, I found that North Carolina is a little strange in that you, like the first time. Oh, really? Please yeah. tell. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, in terms of booking shows, like the first okay. time or two that you try to book shows, it's like no one calls you back and I don't know why. But then later, it's like Texas. They do the same thing. And then later, once they've seen you somewhere and they decide they like you, everyone yeah. is so amazing and they're so wow. welcoming. So I think that the next time I'll come back, I'll be able to play here more actually. And um, I look forward to it. So good. Well, we'll make sure we'll, we, uh, we'll bang the drum whenever you do. So let I people hope you know actually it. bang a drum. I will. No, <laughs> seriously, we have a drum in the, we have a drum in the closet. We get it out for banging every once awesome. in a while. So yeah, good. Tori, thanks so much. That's Tori Sparks, uh, torysparks.com, her latest album until morning and come out of the dark. Uh, great thing to go listen to download give it a shot and uh, we appreciate your time this has been I'm with the band here on the mesh.tv if you have any questions for us feedback uh, ideas for other performers you'd like for us to be talking to in the future drop us a line at info at the mesh.tv we've also got a contact us form on our website that you can go to and fill out a short form if you've got a question for us we'd love to hear from you until next time this is Alan Jackson we'll talk to you soon take care so this song is called Tennessee Lion this is a true story And maybe I'll have a little bit of percussion from my jewelry in here. We'll see how it goes. I loved you 
Listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.